Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is no one body and no one spirit, just as you were called to the one, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature the man, to mature man, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, jo the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Alex, for uh, reading scripture for us today. Um, and originally, I had only eight verses to read, uh, but when I heard Alex was going to read it, I added eight more um, just to make it more complicated. But um, actually, no, I, I wanted to look at verses 1 to 16 here in chapter 4 because not just today, today is more of an introduction to what's going to be ahead of us, but in the next following weeks to kind of look at these verses and uh, to expand on a few things that I think are important as we, the church, continue to grow and to figure out where we need to grow. Um, and so that's why I, I started to do this, but this is where we're looking, we're going to look at here in this passage. Paul writes this church to this church in Ephesus. It's a small church, but it's a small church that's actually made up of different types of people, uh, not just ethnically, but socioeconomically, and uh, even personality-wise, it's, it's a hodgepodge of people. It's a young church. And so he writes this letter to this church to give them a few instructions. Three points I want to give you today from this passage. Three C's, right? Uh, C cubed, if you want to remember this. There's a command here. There's a community here. And there's a call, okay? There's a command. There's a community. And there's a call. All right, so let's look at this very carefully here. First, here's a command, and I see this in verse 1. Uh, there's a command which Paul does or gives to this church in Ephesus, and he says there in verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's the command. The verb here is walk. I urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the call to which you have received. It's a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. When you walk, you move, you go, 
you live. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses, but in, in fact, that's what it means. And oftentimes when you walk, oftentimes you go with a direction in mind. You go with a purpose, a goal. So Paul says in our passage, he says, walk in a manner, walk in a way that's worthy of your calling. Now, what's that calling? Well, it's your faith. Walk in a way that's worthy of your faith. Paul is calling this church to live in such a way that reflects their faith. If you're a Christian today, if you say you believe in Jesus Christ, even if you're not sure you are, but you're open to the belief in God and Christ in the gospel, I think basically what Paul is saying here is this. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. We've heard that phrase before. And I think we all know what it means or what an idea of what it means, but it's not as simple as we think. Some of us, spiritually, maybe morally, we try the walk to live, right? To do the right thing. That's what we think it means. Or to do the good thing. And some of us, maybe to do the Christian thing. To walk in a manner worthy of faith for you means let's go to church. Maybe let's serve. Maybe, you know, let's pray a little bit, or let's, let's go to the retreat. I don't know what it means for you, or what do you think it means to live or to walk, but sometimes we can do all of those things, spiritually, morally, personally, Christian, whatever the case is, we can do all of those things and have completely wrong motivations. And sometimes we have the right motivations, but we do the completely wrong things. If you had a choice, if you had to pick between two kinds of people in your life, the kind that always has good intentions but always ends up doing the wrong thing versus the kind that always does the good thing, the right thing, but has the wrong intentions, which, which person, if you had to pick, which person would you want in your life? And maybe some of you here, you prefer the, the, good, the guy who does the good thing even though you're not sure what his intentions are, right? Because at least you're not getting hurt. But the problem with that is this, that people might praise you for doing the right thing, for doing good things, but they don't always see your heart. Here's what I mean. Look, I'm your pastor, okay? And so in a sense, I should act like your pastor. I should walk the walk. Now, I don't know what you think a pastor should act like. Maybe you think a pastor should be a little more holier. Or maybe you think a pastor should be the Christian guy that always says the right things, or always says the biblical things, or always wants to pray. I don't know. But whatever it is, if I only act like a pastor, that kind of pastor, which maybe I should, but I only do it in front of you, to present myself in such a way that would gain your respect or your love or your approval of what you think a pastor should be like to promote an image of myself of something that really, maybe deep down, I'm not in my private and more personal moments. If I'm like this, what is that? Isn't that hypocrisy? And if it is, then I'm faking it. I'm faking it. And it's not going to last. 
it's not going to last. And it also probably means I've got issues. But on the other hand, if I always say I'm your pastor, but I never act like anything near what a good pastor should be like, then you've got to wonder sometimes whether I'm really what I say I am. You see the dilemma? When Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, your faith, he's not just saying, I want you to act like a Christian. We can all act. We can all act like what we are really not deep down inside. And if that's all we ever did, then what we are is a bunch of actors and actresses who come to church with our masks on, with our costumes on, maybe just for a few hours. Here's why the command from Paul and from God is a little more difficult. When God says, walk in a manner worthy of your faith, what he's asking from us is not just that we do the right things or the good things or the more spiritual things, but also to do those things with the proper goal in mind, with the proper direction in mind, with the proper motivation in mind, to the glory of God and a love for him and his people. A saved heart ought to produce a sanctified life. A saved heart ought to produce a sanctified life. There is an inseparable connection between those two things. That genuine walking with God ought to be a byproduct of a genuine heart for God. And a genuine heart for God ought to be reflected in a genuine walking with him. And that's not always easy. Because oftentimes you and I, we go through this world with a disconnect with what we think and believe in our hearts and what we actually sometimes do. Not just because we're still broken and we're still sinful, but also because we easily forget why we do what we need to do when God commands. And this is why that if you were to study this letter to the Ephesians, you would realize that what Paul does in the first three chapters, he spends so much time talking and expounding. This is what God did. This is what Jesus did. This is the teaching of the gospel. This is what God has done for you. And he does it over and over again before he tells you to do anything, before he tells you what you are to do before him. And that is why verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore. Walk. In light of everything that God has done, walk. That to live like a Christian in heart and action flows out of an understanding of who God is, what he's done for you, what he's given to you, and who you're made to be. He's not just your motivation. He's your identity. And identity precedes action. That's the connection I see. So before he tells us all these things in verse, uh, in verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, he tells you what you are in verse chapters 1 and 2. He says, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of a living God. You've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got forgiveness of sins according to his grace. You have this inheritance from him 
filled with the Holy Spirit. That even when you were dead in your sins, he has now made you alive. Reconciled to God. Blessing upon blessing. Mercy upon mercy. Grace upon grace. And so in light of all this, Paul says to this church, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, plead with you, beseech you, in light of all of this, walk in a manner worthy of what you have received. Paul is trying to teach us that we've been given something that God considers so precious, so valuable, that those who have it must live in a way that's appropriate, consistent with, commensurate with its value. So he doesn't just ask. He commands. Walk in a way worthy of all of that. And you understand that because as you understand, it's not that people are always worthy for what you do what you do, but you do what you do because God is, okay? That's the command we see here in the first uh, verse. But the second thing I think we need to connect that with is this, community. So here's the question. What does this walking actually look like? And look at verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. You know, this is strange. What does my personal living and being and growing as a Christian have to do with other people? What, what does bearing with one another, who is he talking to? Bearing with one another when he's saying, I need to walk as a Christian, but then he says we need to have to, you know, bear one another, bear with one another in love. What does my living as a Christian have to do with other people? And here's the answer. Because the walking that Paul has in mind not only has a specific motivation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also a specific goal. You're not just told to walk in circles. You're told to walk with a direction in mind, with a purpose in mind. And what is that? Well, it's in verse 3. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then verse 3, what's the goal? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity. Isn't this interesting? Look, walking, living, growing as a Christian, right? You would think Paul would say that your goal in life is to be more Christian, to be more like Jesus, or maybe at least to be a better person. But the goal here seems to be unity. Unity involves not just you, but it means there's other people involved. And that implies that other people are involved. And whenever you deal with other people, for better or for worse, you're going to need things like humility, gentleness, patience, and to bear with one another in love, verse 3. 
These are all character traits needed to maintain the unity that Paul talks about. But here, I want you to see this connection here. Paul goes from walking in faith, okay, growing, living, doing as a Christian, to unity, to unity. And I think this teaches us something that we don't oftentimes think about and maybe even very unfamiliar. Because when we think about growing, we tend to be very individualistic. We are very individualistic people, and we live in a very individualistic culture. And when we think about living as a Christian and growing and walking in faith, we immediately think individualistically. We think, am I praying? Do I read the Bible? Have I been going to church? Uh, Do I serve? We think about me. But notice how Paul addresses the goal of your living by faith. It's unity, which means other people, which means not just individually, but corporately. Corporately. Okay? You know, oftentimes when you live your life, you feel like, you know, you're not sure where you're headed, but there's this long, hard, twisted path, and uh, sometimes you feel like you're all alone trying to navigate life. And in a sense, there's some reality to that, right? But what Paul says is that as you walk down your path of life, individually, remember to look to your left and right. Remember to look behind you and in front of you. That there are probably other people around you that you never realized were there. Remember that you are not alone. Because there are others walking the same path. Maybe you have a different pace. Maybe different speeds maybe with different turns and twists, but still the same direction, still with the same goal. I think Paul is challenging us to think about this a little bit more carefully, that though we are all individually called to walk in a way that's worthy of our faith, that we do this not alone. That living and doing and growing as a Christian was never meant to be an isolated individual project, but ultimately a communal one. Think about this. I think what Paul is saying is that if you want to grow, if you haven't been growing as a Christian, if you haven't been maturing as a person, that maybe the way to start thinking about how we grow and how we develop and how we uh, increase you know, our maturity is not individually, but Paul is saying we do it corporately, communally. That the question that we should be asking isn't just, am I growing? Am I living by faith? But maybe the question we should be asking is this, are we growing? Are we living by faith? Are we walking together? And maybe we're not always holding hands as we walk, but still together in what Paul calls the unity of the Spirit. Do you think like this when you think about your faith? Genuine, real, fruitful, effective, growing and maturing, ultimately happens in community, in the unity of the Spirit, Paul says. So as Paul says, we walk, we live in a way to maintain that unity of the Spirit. 
And that's why Paul begins to address what that unity is based on in verses 4 to 6. He says there in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There he gives you, in those few verses, seven ones. Seven is the magic number in the Bible. It's not just by accident, but there's seven of them. One, seven ones, one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Seven ones, the number seven signifies perfection according to the Jewish mindset. But we also notice that these seven ones in our passage are grouped around three persons of the Trinity. Three is also a special number in the Bible, right? One spirit grouped together with one body and one hope. One Lord, Jesus Christ, grouped together with one faith, one baptism. One God, the Father, who is in all, through all, and above all. You see that? Paul points out that our unity, the unity that he's talking about, the goal that he's talking about, is founded upon the unity of a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not any kind of unity we're talking about. It's not any kind of community that Paul's talking about. It's not based on ethnicity or socioeconomic class or political affiliations or even personal interests and preference. Our unity, he's saying, is founded on the unchangeable being and work of a triune God, upon the irreversible work of Jesus Christ in history upon the unfailing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people, upon the irrevocable decree of the Father from the foundation of the world. That's what our unity is based on. And this ought to be encouraging for many of us who live in a broken world that has currently so much divisiveness and so much discontent. We have an eternal and unbreakable unity Something that we didn't create, but has been created by God himself. And it's something that we're called to protect, to live out, to walk with, together. Why? Now, why, why should we do that? Why, why can't I just go to church by myself and, and get what I need and leave the church by myself and do what I want to do by myself? Why, why do I have to think about this? So that not just we as a body... But you, as an individual, will continue to walk, continue to grow, to live and to grow in a way that God has called as you experience this unity. Right? Why should I think about the group? Why should I think about community? Because Paul's, I think, saying, you're not going to grow without a community. That's what he's basically saying. You're not going to be able to continue walking without a group of people around you doing the same walk. You know, as I get older, I think I get crankier. Maybe that's just old age, and those of you know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes you find yourself more impatient with people. You know, people are people. It's, you know, there's good people, there's not great people, and, and, and sometimes people are frustrating, whether it's at work or at home or, or you know, in your neighborhood, and even in the church. And, uh, you know, it gets harder and harder sometimes to 
to uh, you know, bite your tongue and um, to try and say the right thing and, and make sure you're not trying to hurt anything. And, there, and sometimes there's a temptation not to deal with people at all because maybe you just don't care, right? I, I get that. I, I feel that sometimes, to be honest, if anything, more than you. But if I have a Christian conscience, right, if I have any desire to keep walking in this faith that God has called me to, if I have any kind of faith in what Paul is saying here, it means this. I need you. Each and every one of you. Because without you, being Christian, living my life, it wouldn't just be boring, it would be impossible. It would be more difficult than just dealing with personal differences. And in the same way that I need you, you need me. You see? We need each other. Because without each other, without you or without me, growing and maturing, not just as a community, but also as an individual, will be impossible. That is why community is important. That is why, for Paul, unity is important. And that is why he's calling us to live out our individual faith with that goal and purpose in mind, to live that out in the unity of the Spirit. Okay? Now, how do we do that? Last point. There's a call here. Verse 7. Paul says, verse 7, but grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? Paul says grace has been given to each one of us. The word grace, if you don't know already, literally means something like undeserved or unmerited favor. It's a word that we think about when we think about salvation. Uh, We are saved by grace. That means we did nothing and received everything that uh, we didn't deserve and we didn't earn, but God has given to us grace. So when we hear the word grace in the Bible or see it in the Bible, we tend to think about saving grace. But here in verse 7, the word grace is a little different. There's a play on words here, and you wouldn't know this if you don't understand or read the Greek, but in the Greek, the word for grace is charis. Do you know someone named charis? Because there was a period in, like, in the country where everybody was naming their daughters charis, charis, because it literally means grace. You know, especially Korean Americans, we got tired of the name grace, and so we switched to charis. But that's the word for grace. But in verse 7, when he says that we've been given grace, and each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, the word gift has many words you could use, but the word here used is charismata. Grace means charis, gift, charismata. Grace, charis, gift, charismata. Do you hear? It's the same root word. Paul here is not talking about saving grace. He's talking about the gifts that we've been given by his grace. He's talking about something that God has given to each and every one of us, which he calls the word gift, Christianese, meaning basically your skill, your talent, something specific to you, something that you're really good at, something that you're, you love to do, whatever that is, Paul says that's a gift. It's a charismata, and it was given to you by grace. 
And this is where we're going to look at in the next following weeks, okay? But how do we walk in a way that's worthy of our calling? How do we grow together in community with the unity of the Spirit in mind? How do we do this? How do we live this out, right? As we look to grow together, as we look to grow individually, and the way Paul says that we do this in verse 7 and following, God has called us to use the gifts that each one of us have been given by grace. Gifts, some of you, that are encouraging. Gift of serving, gift of, of, of building, of strengthening, of edifying. Gift of giving. Gift of teaching. Gift of leading, gift of organization. How does Paul want this church to walk in a way together so that the whole body, as much as the individual, will mature and grow? How does he do that? He says, Use your gifts. Use your gifts. In other words, as you contribute with whatever gift, skill, ability, desire, talent that you have, that you've been given by God's grace, as you exercise those strengths in your church, God uses you not only to grow and strengthen and mature the church, but also to grow and strengthen and mature you. The reason that we are starting this series is because if you were here for last week's congregational meeting, one of the things that we're going to do is an evaluation of the church. It's already a work in progress. You're going to receive an online evaluation of some sort where you are free to fill out as much as you can and as we do this, we're going to also develop focus groups, smaller groups where we can talk one-to-one -one in a smaller setting to get some more feedback, to get a little more detail. The goal here of this evaluation is not just to point out everything wrong that we're doing. The goal is, how can we progress to maturing and growing for the future? And so we're looking for help, okay? There might be stuff that we come out with that we need to work on. There might be future stuff that we need to start. There might be a few things that we need to change. But if we need to start anything, if you care about your church and your community at all, not only will you pray for your church, but you ought to ask what gifts, what strengths, what abilities has God given me that might be used to help in that process? To strengthen it, to grow it, to encourage it, to maintain its unity. Because if you think that as we figure out where we need to go with the church, if you think that all of that is going to be done by a couple of people in the church, you're absolutely going to be mistaken. Impossible. Now, a lot of you may already be doing some of this. You have some strengths and gifts, and you're, you've been using it for a very long time. And some of you, some of you, you have things, you have strengths, you have gifts, hasn't been used at all in the church. 
Maybe at home. Maybe at your work. But not in the church. And still others of us. Maybe you've been serving and doing and trying to contribute. But ironically, maybe whatever it is that you're doing may not be the best use of your God-given strength. We've got to figure it out. We've got to figure it out. But I know for sure, for sure now, one thing, at least one thing, and that's this. Nothing will change if you're always expecting someone else to come up with it. Nothing will change if you're always assuming someone else is going to do it. To plan it, to serve, to give, to lead it. And so not just for the church's sake, but also for your sake, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, keeping in mind the community's best interest, because in its best interest will also be yours. And then ask the question, what are the gifts, the strengths, the abilities that God has given to me where I can contribute the best? That's what we need to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray.